Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. I'm Mike McCarthy. Thanks for downloading the show. We'd love for you to subscribe as well. We're four months into this now. We've covered a whole host of topics so far uh, from the issues that have come up in the Premier League and beyond. But this week, with the international break in mind, we're going to try something that for me, as someone who covers the game as a journalist, might be a little bit risky. Just how well do I know the laws of the game a little later? I'm going to be getting a grilling from my two guests. With me, as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How you doing, Keith? I'm fine, thanks. Mike? Also with us this week, Simon Hall, secretary of the Steel City Referee Association. Great to have you back, Simon. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, looking forward to a grilling from both of you uh, shortly. But before we get on with all of that... Can we start with a bit of feedback from last week, Keith? Yes. Mike getting in touch, just having a listen to last week's show regarding the overturned penalty at Goodison Park. Should, says Mike, the referee have waited to see what developed before blowing for the penalty. We don't remember this incident. It's Richarlison going down under a challenge from Hugo Lloris. It later turns out that Lloris got a hand on the ball. Now, the attacker was back on his feet with the keeper stranded, says Mike. In the end, all advantage was surrendered by the poor initial decision. So what do you reckon? It's very rare that you see referees play advantage when a penalty is at stake, but it's possible, theoretically? Yes, it is. But I'd just like to sort of go back to that particular incident because what happened was Lloris did play the ball, he did get the ball, but he got the man as well. Mm. And so if we say that, that the ball doesn't have a consequence in the process of a foul, and a foul is either careless, reckless, or excessive force, then there is an argument that, one, the referee's got the first decision right in awarding the penalty kick, and therefore, my concern around that, was it a clear and obvious error, and should the VAR have come in? But getting back to the point, really, that you raised, this is down to the skill set of the individual referee. From a personal point of view, can he take risks? And and I think that... more often than not, he's got two things to consider. Is the probability of that player going to score a goal? And the answer often is not. They want the penalty kick. And he jumped in. But the whole aspect of advantage is that under the modern law, where the referee's got three or four seconds, where he can actually go back, if he's a, a very experienced, skillful referee, he extends that period. He takes that risk, if you like, of being able to say, well, just a minute, I've seen the foul, I've seen the caution, I'll just apply it a little bit with some risk. So for me, he could have done that, he could have delayed uh, and a goal would have resulted. But overall, on advantage, because this weekend, Amy Rayner took some criticism in in her game at at Tottenham and she got criticised because she blew for a foul and as a consequence later on, they scored and This is a little bit down to look, and it's a judgment call. So let's get back to the considerations for applying an advantage, because it is a a bit of a process. The referee's got to judge the skill levels of the players. You know, if you're at the Premier League, as against in the local park, the one in the Premier League has got the more skill and may may do what Rich Olsen did. The conditions of the field, the state of the match, the position of the offence on the field of play. If a free kick occurs on the edge of the penalty area, it's a little bit like Richarlson, they want the free kick. They can't have it both ways. 
temperature of the match. I've seen advantage applied and then there's a mass confrontation because you've left the scene. Simon will tell you that holding the gaze is, is, is a natural part of a, a referee's development process. Just holding your gaze fractionally to see that nothing happens untowards. Control of the ball. Uh, seriousness of the tattle. I think it's risky playing an advantage on a yellow or red card because there's the, that chance of retaliation. And then the referee's overall control is, is applying advantage because I was often accused, I've got assessments in my drawer here, often accused of saying, look, there's an overindulgence by you, Mr. Ackett, in not wanting to make decisions, but apply advantage. And, and I, you know, that referee, that referee observer was quite, quite clever because sometimes I ain't got a clue what was happening, so I just shouted advantage. <laughs> so those, those are the aspects, I think, of, of refereeing. It's not an easy answer. It's easy to criticise afterwards. The referee on the day thought Richarlison had been fouled. I think he had a good case. VAR came in, less of a case in my opinion, because it wasn't clear and obvious. So the VAR was a bit indulgent. But the referee, Chris Cavana, I think it was, in a, in a difficult position. And Cavana is a really good decision maker. I criticise him in terms of his position at times and lack of physical effort, which is a worry in his development. But as a decision maker, he's quite a good decision maker. Simon, how often do you like to play advantage at, at grassroots level? Well, the fact that I got an advantage to goal today, I'm quite happy to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Talk us through it. Uh, it was. It, it was. They actually had two bites at the same player. And the first one was an attempt to trip. They rode it, so I played on. The second one was, let's say, an arm across the front, but they managed to get free from there. So it was a case of, I always look at the uh, funnel. That was how I was taught, that if you look at the attacking goal that you're aiming towards, and it's the, it's the actual funnel from the, from the uh, posts out to the edge of the area, and then it goes wider. So in that area, as the funnel goes, is where you play advantage, and that's exactly what I did. Because the more they go towards the corner flags, the less chance you're going to get anything. And needless to say, I held my arms up after the goal went in because I gave a big <laughs> shout, kept my arms up after it went in. So I'll, I'll take that. Excellent. I mean, is that one of the most satisfying things you can do, actually, as a referee? Yeah, it is. It, it, it's your, it's yours. You've read that. You've read every situation. You know what's coming. To play an advantage to goal is fantastic. If you play advantage to goal, like Keith just said there, on a yellow, you know, or a red. Red, I'd, I've never, ever played an advantage on a red. Never. Mm -hmm. But on a yellow, to, to go for an advantage, to get the goal, and then to come back and get the caution is the ultimate. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, you will not have an assessor at the game that you do that right on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, I think you're probably right, Simon. They know, they know, but no, the it's. I, I see, I see. There's a thing we've spoke about recently, myself and uh, who's actually our treasurer at Steel City RA, Richard Trinder, because we've got a couple of young refs who have struggled with various things, which I'm sure we're going to cover. And we've told them that they've got to come and watch because we buy time on the pitch. Mm. We don't. It's like time slows down. And it, it's 
because we've got the experience so we can read the game. Um, there was one today, the player was fouled, but so had such a great weight, uh, lower weight, so could stay on the feet, moving it around. And I could see this again, reading exactly what Keith said. I'd seen the player gets away, but I could see they were still off balance. So I pulled it back because they're not going to get an advantage from that. Mm. But the experienced referees buy themselves all the time in the world. When you start rushing, it's when you start making mistakes. Is advantage one of the hardest things to teach young referees? I think that, I, I don't think it is. I think that, sadly, I think it's often overlooked. Uh, I think Simon makes a really good point because... I, you know, it, it does enhance generally your control because the players themselves and certainly the management of the teams recognise that that you're reading the game uh, and you're reading it well. And I and I think that Simon's right when you when you play that advantage. And we've seen one or two in the Premier League in recent weeks some some superb advantages played that resulting in goal. And I think that's a real plus point. But it is down to experience. And I think that. You know, there's, there's a strong argument. I've, you know, I can remember sitting in RA meetings, referees association meetings, where some of the older guys would say, you never play an advantage in the first 20 minutes. And I just used to look at them and go, I completely and utterly disagree with you because that opportunity could come in the very first minute. And it can, in fact, set the scene for the game. But there is that other pendulum that you can apply advantage too much and I've seen a foul committed advantage of play foul committed another advantage of play and it's materialized and everything's worked out in similar circumstances I've seen that second foul advantage being applied and then all hell let loose so this is the risk that referees take and I think I think Simon's spot on it's about it is about experience the hard bit to, to each regard advantage is understanding the temperature of a game yeah. because the temperature of the game depicts everything that you do as a referee. So as a pre-match to the captains, I'm very straightforward. If you want to play football, I'm the happiest here. If you want to start kicking, then I get involved. And it's a very straightforward because as soon as that temperature starts going up, I'll cut advantages out no. because what I'm saying is, is if you get back to playing football, I'll let you. I use a terminology and, and I say to referees, you put the you put your foot on the ball like a player. You just you slow things down. And and there are occasions when if it does start to uh, go away from you, that's the time when you need to find a few fouls. What what might be ignored during the course of the game a small foul if you like for the good and good of the flow of the game if suddenly the attitude of players change or even after a goal might I say or or, a, or 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 a sanction then you just squeeze it a bit and just come in and interfere if you like to some degree with the process and you, you you're reinforcing if you like the fact look at me I want everybody to know that I am in control because there are times when you can see a young younger referee absolutely enjoying the performance of the game and suddenly gets, if you like, into that zone that says advantage, 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 because the players are responding, everything's going off, and then all of a sudden one 
raises the temperature, and guess who takes it on the chin? The referee, because he's the one that's let the game go out of control. And that's the risk that referees take week in, week out. I guess the thing that sparked this entire discussion is a decision in the Women's Super League from the North London derby. So when you can imagine the temperature of that game with 10 minutes to go, that's something that clearly comes into the consideration as well. And I guess, Simon, I wanted to get your take on this as well, given that you've got you know a fair bit of interest in this too. In terms of women's refereeing, refereeing in the women's game as well, there is now, of course, with a new TV deal, uh, the FA this week, publishing a strategy to get attendances up by threefold over the next few years as well. There is increasing scrutiny. The game is accelerating at a, a very quick pace and refereeing has got to keep up with it too. I think you've got to look at this as quite quite an interesting thing because if you go to even grassroots girls football, it's phenomenal. Mm. The, the level now, I've been involved in it a lot of time, for a lot of years, and the level of it is now is unbelievable. And these players, the skill factor, the tackling, the goalkeepers, the saves they pull off, truthfully putting the head in and heading the ball, never used to happen. No. You know, I've, I've seen g- girls go towards a ball, put their hands literally up and over their heads to protect themselves. Now it's like full-on attack. Now you take that all the way up to the Super League and the Championship now, and it's a different game. It, it's getting faster, just as what he said. Now, what the PGML have done that's brilliant is brought in Bibiana from Germany. Mm-hmm. It, it was a very, very clever, clever move because of well, her experience is so extensive in the men's and in the women's game. So what she's actually doing now is making herself available to the to the up and coming referees and the current crop of referees that are up there. So they can pull on her experience all the time. You've then got at the game. So at the championship game today, there was uh, an observer and a coach. Yeah. And the game is, and obviously we've now got the extra coverage of video, which is beautiful because, yes, when it's on live, you've got the extra cameras. When it's on the FA player, you tend to only have the one camera, but you can still go back and obviously watch different things. Then in a few days' time, they'll get a report on that game with all the key match incidents involving them to go back and look. And somebody's made a comment regards that, and they can make a comment back. It's a fantastic piece of kit that they've got. So they are moving. Now, something with the championship, I've noticed, they don't have the comms kits that the uh, that the Women's Super League has. That's not far away, I believe. Hmm. Okay. So Bibiana's already having an influence on there. The next step for me will be the full-time officials because you've got Super League Championship, the level of the Premier League, I'll say North, because the Women's Premier League North is where I go to watch, is getting so strong at the moment that at some point I think the team's numbers will expand in the leagues or there'll be a third division, there'll be more promotion and I think there'll be more money into the game. So at the moment, they're putting Bibiana in place you know, whoever's done that, whoever made that decision, it was was the probably the best decision they're going to make. Yeah, I, I agree, Simon, entirely. I think Bibiana is and was a, a very, very good referee, respected in Germany, but also c- across Europe because she was an international referee. I think that at the moment uh, we've got a number of 
good quality match officials. The danger, as always, is that they become ex- uh, overexposed. They start getting every yeah. game, every big game, and then they also get in the games in Europe and for the, for UEFA and, and you know the Women's World Cup. I think next year will be an eye opener as well because we have the Euro, the Women's Euros here yeah. in England. And I think that, you know, we've got them in local grounds. They'll be training and all that goes with it. I think the interest will be accelerated next season dramatically when people start to go and watch these games. Durham broke their record today of over 1,100 fans there against Liverpool, which is is great. Um, But also at the same time of it, what you've got to look at is so... Uh, Rebecca Welsh, brilliant football league as well. Yeah. She did um, Man City, Chelsea in the semi-final of the cup two weeks ago, and she's done them again in the league today. Yeah, yeah. And that's a little bit too much exposure for my liking. It is for and, mine. You know, that's just that's just my opinion. Okay, I don't think too much went wrong in the. FA Cup, so maybe, but I just think we've we've got. There are a good few referees for that game, you know, that could cover that game. But I think she's covered them something like seven times. Yeah. I don't know if it's this season or over the last season to this season, but it's been quite a lot of exposure on the same fixture. And I I looked, uh, I think today she's had something like five or six games. You know, we're into week 11 of the programme and she's been out on the Football League or or the Cup uh, or the trophy uh, five or six times. So she's getting lots of games. I think you've raised the point, really, and that is that uh, when they're doing that level of games, uh, they get fitter, but then there's a risk of injury through fatigue, and then it's the recovery programme. Are they, are they doing the right programmes? Because it's great saying you're getting a match, but it's, it, again, I go back to the same thing. They're driving themselves there and back and all that goes with it. So it is pretty tough, uh, as we all experienced that when we didn't have professional referees, but we were operating in the professional game. And given, obviously, the, the what you're saying there in terms of you know the, the worry that some referees may be overexposed mm. uh, in the women's game at the moment, I guess it comes back to a discussion that we had the last time you were on, Simon, which is the referee shortage that has been this year. And essentially, are there enough people coming into the game to meet the demand that there is inevitably going to be over the next few years? I will say there is actually enough numbers now coming in because it seems that after the pandemic, the county FAs are now running the courses and it looks like there's quite a few courses on that they are starting to bridge that gap. The thing is, is how many of them will survive? If the the figures are correct that they will do three games and then pack in, Mm then we've got a huge, huge problem, massive problem. We're already thousands down than what we used to be all the years ago. If the top referees are all leaving, then your skill set is getting lesser and lesser and lesser. We've already spoke about advantage and what you can do playing advantage. We've spoke about the temperature of the game. These new referees, it's about teaching them the exact same thing. So how do we turn around and say, right, we've had a thousand go through a course this month across the country, you know, 10 different county FAs, whatever. 
who's coaching them? Well, I think I I think it's a subject that I worry uh, a lot about because I think that on the recruitment side, I think the first thing that I would want to do is to actually say, right, okay, what is the age level of those people that we're recruiting? Because let's say that they are at the younger end, 15, 16, it's going to be probably five years before they're going to be satisfying, to some degree, top-level grassroots football. But because of the experience that they need to acquire, I think. So I think that there is a, there is a massive problem at the moment. We, I, I mean, I, I attended a meeting of the Northern Counties East League, the NCEL, this week. And, you know, we're struggling for officials, not in the middle, but, but for the running the line. And we're, we're fortunate because the guy has a, a good track record of filling those gaps. So there are problems with, with, uh, with shortages. On the, on the retention side, I think we all know what the problem is. The problem is one of abuse. It's one of applying unnecessary pressure on the referee, misbehaviour. I think players are much more difficult now to, to manage on a field of play than they were in my year. You know, we used to think that it was tough refereeing a, a Sunday morning football match, but I think that there are games now that are nine and ten-year-olds playing and, and they're tough. And, and, and that's, they're made tough because of the parents, but also, to some degree, the indiscipline of some of those youngsters that are playing the game. And it, it, it's amazing when you see that. I'd like the FA to apply what I helped to put in place, which is operating across Europe with the referee convention. And the convention insists, if you're a member of that and the FAR, that you actually track every referee that has left the game and you actually make contact and find out why. Is it the abuse? Is it because they've got other things to do in life? You know, I think, I think with COVID... We've actually seen some referees giving up because they're thinking, well, actually, I can do better things. I don't have to go out on a Sunday morning and face the abuse. But I think that what, you think, what they're missing... Do you think society's changed? Yeah, society's that's changed, had such a for thing. sure. Because it used to be working 8 till 4, 9 till 5, Monday to Friday, weekends off, you know, in the pub, then onto the match and all that for spectators and everything like that. People work seven days now. They work mm. 24 hours a day. Businesses are open now. Yeah. So that's got to have had an effect as well. That's a good point. A really good point. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think also there's probably to some degree less patience, isn't there? I mean, I, you know, I, I was five years into refereeing when people were saying, even in the newspaper, hey, you, you're going to make the football league. Uh, fortunately, I had, the boss at the county FA at the time, Ernest Kangley, called me in and said, I've been reading the same newspapers that you've probably been reading. I'm telling you, you're not going to get promoted for the next three or four years. And though I took that, it was actually, in retrospect, the right, the right manner. But I think some referees take up the whistle and think that in two years' time, they're going to be refereeing on the Premier League and earning money. So it, it, society's changed. I think everybody's changing that. But I think it's much, it's much tougher now but i think that sometimes in all this we lose the fact that out of refereeing you can gain a great deal of enjoyment uh, a massive amount of enjoyment for me 
you know, and I know that you gain a lot of enjoyment out of it, Simon, because of the amount of effort you put in and the encouragement that you gave to your, your, your two kids. Uh, and one of yeah. them is, is advancing in refereeing pretty rapidly. Mm. Now she's returned. Yeah, yeah that's it, you see. Because, well, I made a point today, funny enough, on one of the referee WhatsApp groups, is the fact that every referee, I've not met one yet, that hasn't thrown the bag in the corner of the room and gone never again. Mm. You know, I can remember Howard Webb even telling me all about it, you know, and he went on to do the World Cup final. And, and you know, and I go through things that, my, you know, I, I joked with her because when she was, I think, I don't know, she was 16, 17, and I remember her abandoning the game because the, it, the abuse was just ridiculous. And she'd broke down, she was in tears, never again and all this stuff. And then obviously she, she, she's gone back. But then over the years, she's, you know, she's copped it a few times mm. and she's never had a coach or a mentor as such, not officially, but because of dad, yeah. she has. She's yeah. had a right group around her. I mean, a very, very good group around her. And But she's even gone through the things where do I or don't I carry on? Mm. Now she's gone full back into it and she's loving it and, and people have shown an interest in her suddenly she's getting on. So my question is, is to the FA, I know the solution, but I don't think they want to even think of it as a problem. How do we show every single referee that they matter? Yeah, well, I mean, in the past, wasn't it? We were all members of the Referees Association and, and we all, you know, I, I can remember going to the Grand Hotel. Uh, so I'm going back a long time into the 60s. When on that first meeting, I go into the room and I was made very welcome. And then I heard... Um, you know, across the room was George McCabe and Jim Carr, who were on the Football League. McCabe was, if you like, a, an international referee. and But they were prepared to share their experiences. And I'll never forget that. The basis was um, I wasn't alone. I, I always had someone that I could, I could turn to. And even when I was in the international level, I used to have a former referee, uh, Brian Baker, uh, a local referee, uh, the late Brian Baker, would go with me to games. He was my assessor. And it's sometimes I've come off the game thinking it's got, the world's come to an end. That performance was the worst I've ever done. Uh, and he would sit there and say very little. And then all of a sudden he'd say, right, have you had your say now? Because uh, I'm going to tell you all the good things. And, and I used to get the opposite. You know, if I thought I had a really good game, he would then say, right, okay, I'm going to knock you down a peg just to give you a bit, bit, you're in a position where you're going to take more advice because the game you think has gone brilliantly. And often he would say to me, uh, do you think you're in control? And I, and I can remember, I, I always remember going to Blackburn and watching uh, Howard Webb and Howard, you knew that he was just an outstanding referee and he delivered pretty consistently high-level performances. But on this particular day, I'm thinking... You know, the fans started, a both teams started getting on his back. And I, I just looked at it, sat there, and I'm thinking, I know what you're doing as an experienced referee looking at what you're doing. But the fans and the players are not buying in because Howard was just playing too much advantage, keeping everything going and taking massive risks. And I can remember on that drive home, picking the phone up and ringing him. It got to Professor Craig Mahoney, was sat in the technical area with him and I picked the phone up and I think Howard was expecting praise 
and he and Bill Webby's dad was in the same car. I said, right. He said, well, well how do you think it went? And I said, Howard, you you played far, far too much advantage. You didn't give the impression that you were in control. I know you was, but a lot of people didn't. And you just got this. I told you, Howard. Bill in the background. I told you, oh, Keith. Yeah. I've already told him. You know. So yeah, yeah. I think I think Howard was um, lucky that his dad was a local referee and a good one. And the same with Michael Oliver, uh, because uh, Michael Oliver's dad was a, a very established um, football league referee and a good one. And therefore, Michael has gone off, gone on to top what his dad did. But nonetheless, I think yeah. if he needed advice, he could go back to his dad. I'll be straightforward. I, I, because I, I watched uh, my daughter today, and I, and I, when I spoke to her after, that, and I said to her, "You didn't do this," she says. Dad, we don't do that now. We have to do it this way. And I'm like, you're teaching me now. He's got the other way. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> hey, well, look, um, should we see if I make the grade in these uh, quiz questions you've done for me, Keith, this week? This is this is the scariest. I've been dreading this. I can't believe I suggested it as an idea, actually. Uh, but essentially, you know, my job is to cover football professionally as a journalist. And... Actually, how much do I know about the laws that I'm supposed? You know, I'm the host of a podcast about the laws of football, and here we are. I'm really worried now that uh, I'm going to be tripping myself up all over the place here, Keith. So tell us what you've done. What have you designed here? I wouldn't worry too much because basically, uh, what I always said about to referees is that you you bite the laws of the game in small chunks, and in fact, on a regular basis, referees should pick the referee's chart up with the laws of the game. They can go online now. So if anybody wants, you know, even if you're a spectator and you want the laws to look at the laws of the game, first of all, if you go to www.thefab.com, then you're in a position where you can download the, the laws of the game. You can look at the questions and answers. So here's question one. A defender, team A, Denies a goal-scoring opportunity by pulling an opponent's shirt, team B, outside the penalty area. The referee applies advantage. As the ball goes to another team, B, player, after that, the same defender, team A, becomes involved in play and challenges fairly for the ball, not in a careless or reckless manner or using excessive force. What is the correct decision? So the question is quite complex. A defender team A denies a goal-scoring opportunity. That's the first thing. The offence is he's pulled his opponent's shirt of team B. Outside the penalty area is the position. The referee applies the advantage as the ball absolutely breaks loose to team B player. After that, the same defender team A becomes involved in play and challenges fairly for the ball. Not in a careless or reckless manner, or using excessive force. What is the correct decision? So, I think in this situation, no advantage has been gained by the attacking team. So, having played advantage, I think you have to go back and go, There's the original foul. It's denying a goal scoring opportunity. There's no attempt to play the ball. I think this is a free kick, a red card, and that's uh, that, that's the decision there. How have I done? Well, this brings into the, the, the discussion we've had because. The law is, I'd support you in, oh in, in at the point because you 
Because what you've done is you've actually said in your situation, I'm not going to play advantage. I've blown up. And the laws protect you to some degree. But in reality, because the ball is broken uh, for a, a, an advantage to a player who's it, it really it can't do anything but miss. So the referee allows play. This is the answer. The referee allows play to continue as advantage for a dog's offence reduces the sanction to a caution. Oh, okay. Right. So he's, immediately you've gone advantage, you've reduced the sanction, and the sub subsequent challenge is not an offence. The defender must be cautioned when the ball is next out of play. Okay, so the, I'm 0 for 1 here. Uh, just uh, Now we've got two referees here. Simon, um, uh, would you make the, the same decision here? Is this, is this uh, have we got agreement from you both? Yeah, because you've, well, they've got the advantage still, haven't they? So therefore, yeah. you know, just carry on. But the interesting thing is, is if it is a red card, you know, no matter what I tackle is a red card offence. Yeah. That player cannot be involved in any other move after that. Right. So I think that what we've got Hence here... you don't play advantage yeah. on a red card. Yeah, you don't play an advantage on a red card. This is a, this is a, a shirt pull. It's dogzo. And this is the level of experience that the laws cover you. So they're covering you. We would be happy. If we were assessing the game, we would be happy with your decision. But it, what the law has done here is it's extended the fact that if you actually applied an advantage and the challenge made on that player is okay, then what you do is you can the play continues until the next stoppage. And then for that shirt pull offence, you're going to go back and caution him. I mean, that's... What have we got for... Yeah, okay. So, right, lesson learned. So there you go. <laughs> um, what have we got for question two? Right. When the ball goes out of play, the referee notices that a player is bleeding. What is the correct decision? Uh, well, I don't think play can restart until the player is, is uh, has had some medical treatment, presumably either to stop the bleeding, but if the bleeding can't be stopped, then the player has to leave the field of play and can't return until the bleeding is stopped. And if that means they have to be substituted, then they have to be substituted. But presumably, play can't restart until the players had some medical attention and then you make a decision based on what the physio tells you about the state of the player. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah. If it's, if, if there's any sign of blood, the player leaves the field of play. So effectively you don't treat him on the field. Uh, okay. But normally if, if, if it's a, a serious wound, then, then he would be treated immediately. And, and that's fine. You got that one, right? Great. I right. think okay. you're on a roll. Let's go for three. <laughs> Okay. Right. A ball, A player takes an indirect free kick. The ball enters the opponent's goal without touching any other player. What is the correct decision? Uh, I think the correct decision is a goal kick. Correct. Don't, don't go any further. I think that. So you got two right. You're winning. Excellent. Four. Okay. A player delays leaving the field of play when being substituted. The same player has already been cautioned for another offence. What is the correct decision? Well, time wasting is a yellow card offence if it's uh, in the in well, if the referee deems it's time wasting. Um, depends. Has the player actually left the field of play yet? The in this example, are they still on the field of play? I, I mean, I don't know whether that makes a difference or not, but it feel, it feels like it should. Anyway, if I'm strictly in, interpreting the laws of the game, I think I'm issuing a second booking and that player's being sent off. Yeah. 
and the substitution can't be made. Correct. Absolutely right. So not as okay. so bad, is it? Five. All right, all right, okay. A forward, team A, is in an offside position at the moment when a midfield player takes a shot on the goal. So you've got one player offside, his mm-hmm. own teammate takes a shot on goal. The goalkeeper saves the shot and the ball goes straight to the forward who was in that offside position and scores. What is the correct decision? I think this is offside because it is in the narrow interpretation of gaining an advantage from being in an offside position. When are you taking up refereeing and making it one less short? (laughs) You can earn a bit of money. Six. A player enters the field of play without the required permission and then commits a reckless tattle. What is the correct decision? Oh, sorry. So they've left the field of play... What, and then they come back on and then make the a reckless player tackle. enters the field of play <clears throat> without permission. Oh, okay. So this is like a substitute or something, or it, sort of it, running up the side it, of the pitch it, or something it, like that. It can be a, well, it can be a player who's been who's gone off to have treatment. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Right. So right. So a player okay. enters the field of play without required permission. He comes on, and immediately comes on. He commits a reckless challenge. What are you going to do? Wow. I mean, I don't know whether theoretically you can be booked for re-entering the field of play without permission of the referee. I think in, in normal circumstances, it's just a telling off, isn't it? I think what I would do is, if it's a reckless challenge, it's a yellow card offence, and I think I'd leave it at that. Right. What is interesting in the laws of the game is that either if you can't come on or you can't go off without the referee's permission, effectively. Yeah. So what he's done is he's come on without the referee's permission. That is a cautional offence, strictly on the laws of the game. Okay. Right? In the way that he would receive a second yellow, uh, he would receive a yellow card if he left the field of play without permission. But now what he's done is he's got he's, he's committed one yellow offence. Yep. And then the next thing is, and it could be minutes, He's committed a reckless challenge. That's a second yellow card. So he's going to get two. Oh, I see. You're right. Okay. So my interpretation two. of that question was it was happening like within seconds of the of, of two things happening. Okay. Right. Before a corner kick is taken, so the ball has gone out of play, the referee notices that a defending team player spits on an opponent. What is the correct decision? Uh, I think this is a red card. It's It counts as violent conduct, doesn't it not? Yeah. How do you restart play? Uh, with the corner because the ball hadn't come into play. Nice one. Yes. Absolutely. I can remember having to go to Liverpool to speak to Rafa Benitez. Uh, Liverpool had played Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. The ball was in the quadrant and in the middle of the penalty area, there was a bit of a scuffle, right? And Rob Styles, the referee, went in, sorted it. And I got the call on the on the Monday that Rafa Benitez needed to see me urgently. So I drove across, uh, armed with my video of the match. And he was he was not in a happy frame of mind. Although he's a nice guy, he was not happy because he, he couldn't understand why Rob Styles hadn't awarded a penalty kick for the offence inside the penalty area. I advised him that the ball wasn't in play. The, the kick hadn't been taken as soon as he saw that. He was apologetic. 
saying it's a long way to come just to tell me I'm wrong. But that that's the sort of thing that can happen. Where, what are we up to now? Here's another one. We're on eight. Okay. While taking a penalty kick, the kicker slips on the grass and after the ball is in play, kicks the ball again before it has touched another player. We have seen this happen. Yes. Oh, I think Riyad Mahrez did this. Yeah. Uh, would have been a couple of years ago for, yeah. uh, for Leicester at Man City. Uh, I think it's just a free kick to the uh, defending team. Yeah. I couldn't tell you whether it's a direct or indirect, indirect. but it's a free kick. Yeah. At the point where the ball is kicked, the small things. You'll find in refereeing a lot of discussion about the laws of the game and, and those referees that tune into this that are starting their career concentrate on the restart. Because that's where the error, that's invariably where the errors are made by younger referees. Mm. In terms of is it indirect, is it direct, is it a penalty kick, is it a drop ball? All those sort of scenarios of how you restart the game come into play. Uh, number nine. May a player change places with the goalkeeper after the penalty kick has been awarded against his team? Oh. What? Oh, okay. I mean, I'm just trying to think why this would happen. I mean, maybe like the goalkeeper did his hamstring yeah. or something. You know, like yeah. when, when the challenge was made. Or yeah. I mean... I don't see why not. I think I'm allowing this to happen. Right. You're just taking a bit long, too long to get to the decision, right? That's all. You've got <laughs> you've got twenty thousand, fifty thousand spectators on your back here, mate. Just to say, yeah, well, it's come fine. On, make a, go on, go on, go on, go on. Keep going, go. It's fine. Make your mind up. Absolutely correct. I think you're doing okay, Mike. I think you're doing better than I thought you were. Well, this is better than I thought it was going to go. Maybe it's me that's made the questions too easy. Hey, you're a great team, um, Chipkey. That's so what you got is. that one right. Must the referee be informed of the order in which players will take kicks from the penalty mark? Be careful here. The order? Yeah. I mean, something about the way that you've worded the question makes me think that the nominated five players must be given to the referee, but maybe the order doesn't necessarily have Spot to be on. given. Stay there. <laughs> okay, great. The answer's no. You got that, <laughs> you got that spot on. <laughs> I think he's done all right, Simon. Don't you think he should take you a know, referee? I think you've done absolutely spot on because <laughs> everything you did was straight. That's it. That's how we're going to do it. You only hesitated on the one. Yeah. And the other side of it as well is, and I'll always say this to every referee, even if you realise you've dropped one, look the most confident person there and put doubt in everybody's <laughs> heads, honestly. Absolutely spot on. That's great advice. <laughs> you know, so you've broken the myth, Mike, as a, as a, as a media man. Who's, who does the commentating on games regularly, maybe we'll give you a bit more respect now because I think uh, you, you've probably got about eight or nine right out of the ten. Yeah. That's not a bad I'm, right. I'm pretty pleased with that. I was kind of hoping for about five, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Well, you got eight and the pass mark 75%, so therefore oh, you're, now, right. okay, you're now qualified. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll have to go out and decide which whistle you're going to use. Well, I need someone to pay my 140 quid fee to uh, to register. That's what I need, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You, you've raised that one, and it, 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 at the moment, it's a bone of contention with me on on this whole aspect of the referee shortfall. Because you know, I've, I've got someone who I know yesterday who came up to me and said, "Look, one, he's trying to register for a, for a, uh, a course, 
I think the next course is in January, availability in South Yorkshire in, at the County FA, which is good because that's a reflection on, as, as Simon has just said, on the number of referees that want to take the whistle up. I hope that those people that have now got over the fears of COVID, uh, maybe some that have all been double vaccinated and decided for all sorts of reasons on packing up the whistle, might just reconsider. Because, you know, I think we do undervalue referees. We think, oh, great, they're going to get a match fee or whatever. But they are providing a service to the community. And, and when, you know, as we had the other week on a, on a phone-in, 50% shortfall in referees on a Sunday league in Doncaster, that's a worry. And referees secretaries have got a massive task. And when there is a shortfall, there's always a problem. And there's always going to be that added problem that the senior competitions within grassroots football will pull the, pull the referees. And therefore those, I think sometimes the younger referees have, have gained little experience, not mentored enough, not guided enough, and then uh, are given games at a higher level than actually they I won't say capable of doing, but just at a level which are more challenging than their experience. And I don't think that's helpful in that, in that whole process. This is why, uh, hey, I'm going to give you a plug, Simon, because I think Steel City RA's idea that somebody doesn't have to come to meetings, but can actually sit in front of a laptop and have people like yourself and others giving referees support and guidance a hotline that actually says, look, I've got a problem, can I get an answer? There's a support mechanism. I think that there are two things to answer the question, I think, in terms of referee shortfall. One, put a moratorium on and don't charge anybody for the courses for a year. That might be one answer. Might be a simplistic answer from my point of view, because there is a cost implication. And the second one is companies like your own, where you, Simon, are capable, because of your background, of delivering lessons and education and safeguarding and all those sort of things that you have massive skill sets in, ought to be allowed to run a business that says we're providing a service to the county FA. And I, okay, I'm having a bit of a bang on a drum, but I do think there is an opportunity missed in that scenario. I think... I think the thing with the courses at the moment is I think it's now you have to pass the laws of the game online. So you do like a quiz. I think you learn it and then you do a quiz and everything else like that. And then it's like a day where you go and do your practical and everything else. Then you've got six games. And once you've done your six games, then you can be classed as a qualified referee. Oh, now, excuse me, Simon. Have you got those things in round the show, the arm yet? What, didn't you say uh, that you're going to have coloured sort of arm? Yeah, the, oh. for, for, yeah Explain I that. have the armbands, uh, the respect armbands, some have purple shirts, some have even got different coloured socks. Yeah, I've seen Just that. to clearly identify that they are an under-18 referee. Brilliant idea. So anything that you shout or do towards them is classed as a safeguarding issue and they've been clearly identified. The FAs on these are going to come down harder on anyone 
with somebody who was clearly identified. Now, Sheffield and Alamshire, I don't want to say, have been quite behind the times on this one, yeah. which is quite annoying because, you know, literally people have been pestering. Well, I have been told it is imminent. Right. So that is the best news ever that it is imminent um, for that. Because my thing is, is when they do the six games and the cluster's qualified, I'm going to go kind of different here. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not qualified. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do we prevent those going to their second game, getting absolutely loads of pelters, whatever? You don't know what game you're going to turn up to. You don't. You know, um, I don't mind saying it, and I'm sure the teams won't. I played, I refereed top versus bottom yesterday, and I was half dreading one of those double figure games uh, where it's no good for anyone. It was phenomenal. It was nil nil at our time, finished two nil. It was honestly, it was an unbelievable game. Was it a tough one? I had to learn because it was a 9v9 game. I had 17 players in one half on a small-sided pitch. The ball was bouncing everywhere. Who did it go in off? What was my movement? Where was I moving to? There was a challenge, but there were three people within proximity. Who was the actual foul to? So I was moving constantly. And and the thing is, is on that is I look at less experience. Would they, would they have looked at it? Oh, this is easy. I'm studying one half. Or would they have made the effort to move around? And no one's teaching that type of thing to say, you know, no one's telling you that, you know, as a referee, you've got to learn plan A and plan B. Because plan A is everyone's getting on great and this is a fantastic game of football. Plan B is I'm not here to, I'm not here to make friends with anybody and, and I'm going to have to clamp down. And it's not there. But we've got the technology. We've got, we've got the resources. I mean... I've got the most amazing e-learning platform where we can go through videos of actual... Well, Keith mentioned it earlier about the entertainment bit, and yeah. sometimes, and I've seen the videos, and it is a proper, proper... Uh, Keith, you sent me one to this week, didn't you, with the goalkeeper rushing out yes. and the foot in the head and all that lot? Well, that's... Believe it or not, people look at that and go, oh, you know, referees and, that, you know, okay... It was an easy red, we, we, you know, that one was. But what about the ones that aren't? Why yeah. aren't we going through that to say, if you see this, it's like we mentioned um, on the last one about the fists, you know, the clenched fist for a deliberate movement of an elbow when they're going into the face. We're not teaching any of this. I know people are going to shout, say, they're brand new. You don't give them too much information. So I'll tell you, brand new. This is the information. I'll teach you. Yeah, a drop what's called the drop zone. Yeah, yeah. Because the drop zone is the most likely place to be a foul. So that is when there's a throw in, nine out of ten times it's going straight down the line. So you get where the ball's going to likely to drop, not where the thrower is, because they tend to go where the thrower is, new referees. So now I've already, in one little thing, goalkeeper, watch them before you kick, before kickoff. Because what goalkeepers always do before kickoff, they're kicking the ball as far as they can. You can see where the drop zone is going to be for when you, when they've got it in their hands, and you learn, and you're already now cutting down the chance of errors because you're side on. You can spot a push in the back. You know, you can spot when they jump over and they're using the shoulders, and you're already 
you're already teaching with just one thing, and that's the drop zone. Can I raise one as well, Simon? Because I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, and what I've noticed in recent weeks, I've, I've taken up positions at various grounds that I've been visiting and tried to put myself either seated or sometimes standing by the side of the fence in a, good, a relative good position to watch an assistant referee's performance. And, you know, the basic skill level of an assistant referee is being missed because they're not in line with a second rearmost defender. When they're not in line, then they're, then they're exposed to making an error. I think at times the assistant referee, because does think he's in line, but he's not using the, the penalty area as a datum point to say, actually, I also need to be parallel with a penalty area line, looking at 90 degrees to the, to the touchline. And I know these are, are technical aspects, but they're important basic points that say if you're not in a position of looking at the second rearmost defender or you're trying to gain a yard on that forward to make an offside decision, your judgment's going to be going to be flawed. I, I think you make uh, an in, interesting point because I've been critical, as you know, I've mentioned it to you over the past, you not, have, not yeah. in terms of your individual refereeing, but... I still think referees are missing upper body fouls. I do think. Well, yeah. I'm going to dive in, Keith, because one of my biggest bugbears, and it has been, when you learn to be an assistant referee, is on your first ever competitive game, maybe at County Senior, now even at our local Central Midlands League, which level fours were refereeing literally two seasons ago. We've now got brand new assistant referees, and these players um, are being paid. Some of them. Well, I, I mean, I, my grandson plays in the Central Midlands League, so I'm actually seeing a, a few games at uh, uh, some colliery or somewhere. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll not mention, but I, I do. I have been uh, several times this season to watch him, and you're right. Although I've seen actually one or two re really good refereeing performances at that level as well. So I'm going to, yeah. get, going to get some balance into it. In that no, sense. there is. Do you know what? I mean, some of the, I mean, I, I listened yesterday to a whole crowd go up saying, oh, he's offline, he is off. I was banned behind the line and he was absolutely yeah, spot yeah. on. Yeah. Well, you know, he really was. And he pointed to the exact right player he was playing on. And this is the thing you see, but you've got, it's okay having really, really uh, experienced referees. When it comes to assistant refereeing, there's an etiquette between you and the referee mm. and some assistant referees think it is completely about them. Yeah. And, yeah. and what we've got to do is really, really start teaching correctly for assistant refereeing. Now, uh, ex-FIFA assistant, Andy Hogg, yes. we ran a training last year. I think we had about eight people turn up and it was open free to absolutely everyone. So, you know, when you say about free courses and stuff and this £140 or between 110 and 140 plus your safeguarding and all that stuff, we had a free training night from, we had a football league assistant and we had an ex-FIFA assistant and we had eight people turn up. I, I just, I was shocked this week because... Um, I was informed that Barnsley RA has disbanded. 
And, and I, I went to several meetings at Barnsley RA. There were, there were obviously some really skillful pl- uh, people there. I know, I know a couple of them have, have passed away, Dave Phillips and uh, Trelford Mills, who were, who, who were quite positive drivers of that, that particular association. Yeah. But, you know, Will Cavanna, who became Sheffield and Allen's County FA's top referee and junior referee, in his in his first or second season was under the banner of Barnsley RA getting some terrific advice. So yeah. I think yeah, it's a pity. It's, I th- it is, but this might surprise Mike. CPD is not compulsory to referees. Do you know what I mean, Mike? It's like <laughs> every year, oh no, don't we haven't got enough time if I get onto this bandwagon. I suspect we probably haven't. It's been absolutely fascinating listening to both of you tonight because there's so much that that I've learned this evening. And and guys, thank you so much, Simon. Thank you so much for your time. And and Keith, as always, thank you very much for being with us. Let us know, by the way, how you got on with the questions tonight. Uh, If you've got a question for Keith, by the way, our email, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk. You can send a message to that address. You can also find us on Twitter uh, at seen underscore them underscore given. Uh, or you can find us on our individual handles at Mike McCarthy or at uh, Hackett Ref is where you'll find Keith on Twitter as well. And like, as I say every week, if you've stayed with us for the whole show, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, new episodes of Seeing Them Given every Monday or there thereabouts. And if you've enjoyed the show, do do us a favour. Leave us a rating uh, or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It does help other people find the show as well. Uh, for now, though, thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time. <laughs>